if you have a conflict with somebody on the mainland, you can run away. You can get on a horse and keep going. You can become anonymous. Yeah, here you're stuck. And, and there, there's a societal danger to that. Hmm. And so people tend to be extremely private. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts. Today's episode is a live broadcast from Torshan, which is the capital city of the Faroe Islands in the North Atlantic. I actually visited there last August, so it's not literally live, but it took place about 48 hours after I arrived there at a moment when I was excited by everything I was about to see on this isolated archipelago that lies well north of Scotland between Iceland and Norway. Joining me in this conversation is Matthew Landrum, a Michigan-based writer who's been translating Faroese poetry into English for the past decade or so. Together we talk about how poetry and music and other forms of art can be a window into cultures before we arrive there in person. We talk about how the Faroese people are more passionate about literature and song per capita than other European cultures and how this affects the experience of traveling there. We talk about how modern Faroese novels and heavy metal music are in conversation with ancient Faroese folk tales and ballads. We talk about how the people of the Faroes have managed to hang on to their language and culture, even in the face of colonization by Denmark and the rise of globalization. This is more destination-oriented than most of my episodes, so you'll get some great travel ideas if you're considering a trip to the Faroes. And because the conversation took place outside, you'll hear a lot of ambient noises from the sound of wind and school children to dogs and ducks, and at one point, a brief cameo by my wife, Kiki. We start by talking about the park where the interview is taking place and how it's unique in the fact that it has trees, unlike most other parts of the Faroe Islands. Let's listen in. So Matthew, where are we right now? We are in the uh, only forest in Stramoy on the Faroe Islands. Well, the only real forest on the islands. There's a couple small ones. It's uh, completely different than the rest of the landscape in the Faroe Islands, so it's a funny place to be meeting here. Yeah, and so is this like, what's the name of this place? It's a park. It's something like the plantation in Faroese. Of course, okay. that sounds worse in English, but um, yeah, it means like the only, uh, part of the islands they've fenced off so the sheep can't get in and they've they've planted all these trees and uh, let the native vegetation return. And now correct me if I'm wrong but doesn't Faroe Islands have something, doesn't the name have something to do with sheep? Yeah it's one of these funny names um, Faroe uh, means Faroe Islands uh-huh. so people are saying the Faroe Island Islands Okay. when they say Faroe Islands not something I considered, but yeah. So it's so it's the Sheep Island Islands. Yeah, yeah. That's literally what it translates. Exactly. To it's like the uh, the River Avon, right? Okay. I mean, it's the River River. Right. Yeah. About this podcast, I almost I never do destination episodes. Yeah. Um, and when I've done them, it's always been after the fact. Whereas I got in the Faroe Islands like two days ago. Yeah. So. Not only, um, not only do I not know much about the Faroe Islands in general, but I haven't even experienced it on my literal own trip to the Faroe Islands. You've just kind of uh, seen some restaurants downtown and then been resting a bit. Um. That's true. I, I've, been, I've been sleeping in a beautiful Airbnb up on the hill, and this town has fewer residents than, I don't know if it would be in the top 10 of towns in Kansas, which is like one of the <laughs> least populated states in the United States. So it's... It, it's been interesting to, to be in a capital city, 
Uh, we're probably right now, we're like 10 minutes from the National Cathedral, yet we're sort of by this duck pond in a very bucolic part of the capital city. Yeah, it's gotta be maybe the most like cosmopolitan 30,000 people ever, but it's, it's a small town. That's true, and I wanna talk a little bit about just like it, the weird sophistication of Faroe Islanders going into music stores where like every single record or CD is by a Faroese artist. Yeah, right, and there's a couple people who are pretty famous. Oh, really? International? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, people, people are out there. Uh, uh, their maybe most famous current person is just finished up her new North American tour, and uh-huh. um, she's a big deal. Uh, Tai Tour is kind of a emo icon from ten uh-huh. years ago. And uh, yeah, there's some amazing. Well, one of the things that keeps me coming back here, I translate poetry, but the art per capita is astonishing. Um, There's 50,000, just over 50,000 people on the island, and yet there's, um, we're standing under this wonderful sculpture, and you'll see this guy's work throughout the islands. Uh He's amazing. It's a sculpture, just so listeners know, it's a sculpture of a fisherman. Yeah. And fishing has always been a big part of the economy here. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure we'll circle back around to fish, but um, it's, the fish rings now, the farming is at least half the economy. But there's, there's dozens of good poets, dozens of good artists, dozens of good musicians, and yet there's only 50,000 people. Right, which is amazing. And one thing I write about in my new book is how sometimes popular culture introduces us to places before we go there. Yeah. Um, and so you can, like, be a fan of Fijian rugby before you go to Fiji. <laughs> uh, you can actually, uh, Pico Iyer's book, Video Night at Kathmandu, is very That's much a great book. about... Yeah baseball, knowing baseball before you go to Japan or, or seeing like the Indian version of a Rambo movie. In the book I talk about how when Malcolm X went to Mecca, uh, people were excited because he was a black American and everybody knew who Cassius Clay was. Mm-hmm. And he just converted to Islam, Cassius Clay had. And so they were, all they wanted to talk with uh, Malcolm X about was boxing because <laughs> the black Americans referent was a pop culture reference of a guy from sports. Sure. Um, and so I would imagine maybe now because of the success of Faroese musicians, maybe people's first taste of the Faroe Islands is music that they've, they've heard and fallen in love with. And so I'm curious actually, Matthew, how you first heard of the Faroe Islands. Yeah, there, there definitely is that. We had a, um, I first did the Faroe Island summer course. I was reading a Shetlandic poet, Christine DeLuca, who's fantastic. And she writes in a dialect influenced by a dead language called Norn, which I looked that up. So it was related to Faroese, looked into the Faroe Islands. I'm like, my, my God, this is beautiful. And um, so I, I decided I wanted to come here someday and I saw that they had this summer language institute I get really bored sitting around on a beach. I need to be doing something and be intellectually stimulated and culturally engaged while I'm somewhere. So um, I thought that'd be a great way to be here for a month. And I'm a high school teacher, so I have that time. And I came here and uh, just fell in love with the place. But it was funny to see what, uh, being involved with that summer institute several times, to see why people end up here. A big reason is black, uh, like Faroese Viking metal or black metal. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. There's this great band called Tour, um, which is the the Norse god of war. And uh, they put these old ballads to music, to like metal music. They're actually fantastic.
had a lecture at one of the summer courses from their lead singer about heavy metal. And That's awesome. Like a, a poetry summer course. <coughs> Was it a poetry course or a translation it's course? It's a linguistic course. Okay. So you're learning the language. Just so listeners know, like Shetland, some people might think of Shetland and they think of ponies, right? That's right. Um, and so that's a, that's a, not far from here, actually. It's islands in the north of Scotland. Is it's it the closest uh, other land besides here. It's okay. about 200 miles. Uh huh. Was it Shetland poetry that you were that you were interested in, or just the Shetland language? Uh, I was reading um, just a magazine online, and they had this poet from Shetland, and I liked her work. And so you, you kind of fall down the rabbit hole. One thing leads to another. She mentions this dead language, I looked that up. That dead language leads to Faroese, Faroese leads to the summer course. And um, coming here was just a really powerful experience. And um, we were with a wonderful cohort and everybody kind of fell in love with the place. A lot of people came back. It's actually amazing, like, uh, I did this summer course another two times after that. And there are several people who ended up getting married to Faroese people. No kidding. And it all began at the summer course. Huh. Uh, a guy we hung out with yesterday, a forest who's been a friend of mine for a while, um, who's been on this podcast before, he has a similar story. He met a woman on the, um, not a, it wasn't a romantic liaison, but a woman on the Camino de, de Santiago in Spain who was Faroese and said, come see my land sometime. And he came back, they came back again, and now he, he works here. So it's interesting how a place like the Faroe Islands, which probably isn't on many tourist radars or even in anybody's vocabulary of places in the world. There's just sort of a randomness, but a, but a fervent love of this place for people who come here for the first time and keep coming back. Yeah, you don't really end up here by accident per se, like, but the circumstances might be kind of the rabbit hole for many people. And there are people here for like, um, linguistics of course I was here for poetry um, and the language and, and scenery but people people are here for knitting or for food mm. or all this stuff um, it, it's kind of like uh, people washing ashore like driftwood from random places and for random reasons yeah so I'm, I'm in this space you know where I just got here uh, I'm in this tourist space uh, do you have a community here? Do you have Faroese friends? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and a lot of that comes from the literature. Um, you know, I, I've been translating maybe 12 different poets over the years, some of them quite frequently. So every single day I've been here, I've been with another set of friends, people I've worked with on translations, people I've translated. One of the interesting things, uh, attention I'm always aware of, I'm translating a language where if somebody writes in Faroese, 60,000 people can read it, maybe. In the world. In the world. Yeah. I'm translating to a language 3 billion people can read. And so um, I try to be really aware of that. There's, there's power differential there. And I think it's important to be careful hmm. in my work. Uh, because people come to the Faroe Islands and it, it is such a beautiful place. Um, there's just been this uh, BBC show, Charm, um, crime drama set in the Faroe Islands, murder set mystery. Is yeah. it filmed here as well? It's filmed here, yeah. Okay. And the main actor is Danish, but there's a lot of Faroese people in it. And asking Faroese people about this show, they're like, mm, well, it's all right. It's nice to have a show about us, but 
it's kind of the Disney version of Faroe Islands. Everybody's wearing a sweater all the time. They're driving these long distances, which really isn't part of Faroese life on a daily basis. But then you get the drone footage of the car moving through the beautiful landscape. And it's sort of, uh, my friend described it as landscape porn. Hmm. Um, I can see why that would be a thing, because just getting off the airplane here, uh, it's so dramatic. You know, you, sure. you, you come down and you land. Uh, it looks like Vagar, but how do you pronounce it? Uh, Vuar. Vuar at the airport, which is an island away from here. But it's just, it's like no airport I've been to before, that you, you're just sort of dropped into this dramatic landscape that's full of sheep, actually. Yeah. And then suddenly you're here. And I think one interesting thing about this beat of conversation is that I'm basically here as a tourist. Sure. Um, but your experience, I think we have different experiences as travelers to places. I was just in Norway with my wife, Kiki, who has a lot of Norwegian cousins, who sort of showed me a side of Norway that I never would have been able to experience had I not had a person with, with dear, beloved family there. That's right. Whereas your lens into a place is not a touristic one. You came as a student, you have, pe you have friends who married Faroese people, you have Faroese friends. Uh, and so how, how is your relationship to this place different than places where you go, go to just as, as, a, as a tourist, for lack of a better word? Yeah, I've, I've been all around this summer. I've been to Sweden and Croatia and Montenegro and Bosnia. And then I, can't, I was in Iceland, but that was in June. I was in Iceland before coming here. It's August right now. And uh, I was a little travel weary. Hmm. And getting here, I'm like, OK, I'm home now. I can rest. And it feels like a home, you know, even if it's not my native home. Um, I know the alleyways. I know, part of the challenge of traveling is always just like, how do you get around? Um, so I know all the shortcuts and what to do and where to shop. And uh, I see my friends on the street and I, I have a place I'm usually always staying when I'm here. And so it just feels very comfortable um, after all this time. And just being somewhere for a month on your first exposure and getting past the tourist surface. It's a very close society still here. People are very private. Hmm. And that's just part of the national character. I was uh, talking with a Faroese person um, a couple days ago, and she said, yeah, the sociologists say the reason for that is if, uh, you know, kind of almost on an evolutionary level, if you have a conflict with somebody on the mainland, you can run away. You can get on a horse and keep going. You can become anonymous. Yeah, here you're stuck. And, and there, there's a societal danger to that. Hmm. And so people tend to be extremely private. Um, it's actually been a really interesting tension in the literature. I translated this book, uh, Are There Copper Pipes in Heaven by Katrin Otter's daughter. And she, um, she writes about how her, um, her mom was abusing her dad and then he would, you know, kind of get violent back sometimes. It was really quite a dark book. And, and it's about her as a child coming, uh, starts when she's very young and kind of coming of age in this abusive household. They're, they're not really abusive toward her. They're very neglectful though. And it's a hard book. It was hard to translate. It's very intense. Um, I told people I was working on it on a grant here once, and a lot of my Fairways friends said things like, I don't know that she should have written that book. Hmm. My parents knew her parents, and they did, do not believe it was the way she wrote it. Huh. Um, so you have this thing where everybody knows each other, or of each other, or has a cousin that knows you pretty well. 
it's, it's that small town vibe. Um, and the privacy is at such a higher premium, but in the last 11 years I've been here, people have been breaking those barriers more and more. Huh. And things like talking about mental health in the literature. Um, I just translated a poet who wrote about her eating disorder as a teenager. Um, this really young rising star in Faraway's literature, uh, Anna Malin, Yekvan's daughter, she wrote about, uh, she wrote a book called The Queen of Psychosis about her, um, her mental health and it's got all these um, kind of therapeutic drawings that are really quite, quite dark and shocking. Hmm. Um, and, and before that, I would read Faraway's literature and I was, I'm, I'm coming from Bennington where a lot of people are doing this confessional work in their poetry, but doing it in America you're confessing to an anonymous audience. Here you're confessing, you're, you're opening, uh, opening the side of the house is kind of how I viewed this Are There Copper Pipes in Heaven book I translated. You're opening the side of the house for your friends and cousins and relatives huh. and the lady next door. That's a very different thing. Well, it's not a confessional culture like the U.S., I would imagine. I, I just no. got here, but there's, there's almost sort of a thirst and enthusiasm for confessional work. People seek it out in the United States. Here it's transgressive. Huh. Yeah. Huh. But it's, it's happening more and more, and it's almost exclusively done by women. Huh. Um, Interesting. It's this new generation um, of, I, th I think, the, the real writing happening here right now. Uh, there are some amazing male poets, but there's this younger generation of women and they're just breaking tons of barriers. It's really, and it's in the last 11 years since I came here. It's really interesting to see. Well, there's, I, it, William Heinesen, is that the name of the yeah. novelist, the famous novelist? I actually, I, he has a quote from The Lost Musicians, which I haven't read, but basically he's saying, and I'm sort of paraphrasing, a grain of sand the Faroe Islands are like a grain of sand on the floor of a dance hall. Uh, but beneath a magnifying glass, that grain of sand is the whole world. Yeah. And so... Kind of, I, kind I, of sounds like William Blake, doesn't it? Um, right. Yeah, he, he, William Heinesen was this, their great novelist. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that's a beautiful capture of what the Faroe, I think it's like to be Faroese. Well, it sounds like sort of these once private stories like about the abuse of father or about the eating disorder or other things that used to be anonymous in this very familiar small culture. This grain of sand also has things that uh, are relatable in that way, too. And maybe Faroese literature is sort of turning the corner in that sense. Yeah. It, you know, one of the things Faroese literature is really new. OK. Um, they I think they had their first novel. I don't want to say too much because I'm going to get it wrong. But their first novel, Babel's Tower, I think is maybe 120 years old now. Okay. Um, they didn't have their own writing system, official writing system until uh, the 1800s sometime. And so it's all really new. And with William Highness and the... Everything that happened in the Faroe Islands that was official, education, church trade, uh, government proceedings before World War II were done in Danish. Okay. Um, William, technically this is a part of Denmark or? It's an interesting little part of Denmark because Denmark's part of the EU. Okay. But Faroe Islands in the e EU treaty is specifically not. Okay. So Denmark embargoed the Faroe Islands a couple years ago with the rest of the EU for overfishing. Oh, huh. Yeah. Huh. It was a kind of wacky situation. Is Danish spoken here? 
everybody can speak Danish and you'll never hear anybody doing it. Okay. Huh. It's, uh, there's the, their form of nationalism is to not speak Danish and to write a bunch of poetry and make a bunch of art. And, and, and make a bunch of music, apparently. Yeah. William Heinesen uh, wrote in Danish because he grew up speaking Faroese, but every, all the writing he did was in, uh, he tried writing in Faroese and it just didn't click because he was educated in Danish. Huh. A lot of the books he read in were in Danish. And so, like, his writing language was Danish, but his language of his soul was Faroese. And he invented magic realism before the South Americans um, independently. He was going to probably get the Nobel Prize, and he wrote the committee and asked to not be considered huh. because he didn't write in Faroese, and he viewed this as sort of um, betrayals, maybe too strong a word, but he wasn't representing his country well. Is it possible for him to get it anyway, or? Uh, they, they honored his request okay. to not be considered. But I mean, that's a really bold move. Well, it is. It's, it's, it's weirdly honorable. Yeah. Because that's a big deal. And, the, and that would really have put the Faroe Islands on the literary map. Yeah. You know, that's not a trifling award. Yeah. And so I'm curious about the magical realism aspect. Uh, not to go too far down the rabbit hole of that, but what book of his pioneered magical realism? I, I haven't read all his books, but um, I know The Black Cauldron, which is about uh, being here uh, during World War II has some really strange magical elements in this otherwise uh, standard novel. And he's also known for, is it called The Tower at the End of the World? The Tower at the End of the World is this amazing book he wrote when, in his 80s. And it, uh, the world he grew up in 80 years before had changed hmm. um, beyond recognition. And so he's grasping back to this time before the war where the pharaohs were just a speck in the middle of the um, a speck of islands in the middle of nothing and life was very very hard I mean his family was wealthy by Faroese standards by the rest of the world's standards I mean they were living you know a pretty a pretty small life in pretty small circumstances um, if you go down have you been on Tingness yet I don't think so. Okay. I, what, what, is it the little point? The, the, With the old the houses there? Point? Yeah, Forrest took us there yesterday, and there's actually some runes still carved into the rocks there. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, apparently it's where the first ever parliament convened. Is this correct? It, it's been convening for... Uh, it's the second oldest parliament in Europe, actually. Okay. Um, the funny thing, the Isle of Man's number one. So two okay. semi-independent states within other nations have hmm. the oldest parliaments in Europe. Huh. Is, is the Isle of Man a good comparison to what the pharaohs, because this is a Nordic place, but it's also very small, you know, compared to the, the motherland, the Norway. So does it have more in common with like the Canary Islands or the Isle of Man than with Scandinavia proper? Or is it culturally so similar to Denmark and Norway that it's more part of that? So culture? the Faroe Islands have been caught in this question. Um, I would say the direction is a sliding scale between Denmark, Norway, mm -hmm. and Iceland on the other end. Okay. So uh, Iceland was owned by Denmark until World War II. Okay. And after the war, Iceland said, we're done, thanks. Right. And Faroe Island said, we're done, thanks. And Denmark said, no, no, uh -huh. you can be semi-independent. We'll let you use Faroese and we'll make a deal, but you're still part of us. Huh. They, they didn't have the, 
population and, and distance that Iceland has. Right. Um, so independence has always been a big question in Faroe's politics, especially since the war. Okay. Um, and if I can digress on a story that's really interesting to me from Faroe's history, this is something I've been thinking about, a lot about since I heard it. So uh, Toshan, where we're sitting right now, is the biggest city in the islands by far now. After the war, uh, the, the British uh, took over the islands, for listeners who don't know that. Denmark fell to the Nazis. Mm. The British sailed up here a couple days later. The Faroe Islanders were, by and large, glad somebody was going to sail into the harbor. Yeah. They'd prefer it was the British. Right. So it was a somewhat um, friendly occupation. Uh, I, I have met some older people who were kids and the British soldiers would give them candy when they were, you know, driving by. The airport, um, the airport was built, that's why it's on the other island. Okay. It was deemed more defensible. The British built that. Huh. So it started as a military airport. The funny thing is they had some cars on the island um, already, but when you would cross over to the island, the driving direction would switch to British. Just for one island? Just for that one island. Okay. Yeah during the war. Uh, and you had to have a special passport to leave that island during the war because they didn't want people, you know, maybe spying or something. Uh-huh. But Klaxvik, the second city uh, in the north, was about half the size of Torshan before the war. And um, there's always been, the, these islands are incredibly isolated from each other. You, to get to Klaxvik, um, before the war, or before the roads, before the tunnels went there, would have taken a day. Okay. Not a quick trip. Now you can get there in an hour and a half by bus. Um, so they're, they're different. They have a different dialect, uh, sort of different mindset. From of, island to island? From sort of the north, south. Yeah, kind of those four main regions. Huh. It's funny because Iceland has no, has no dialects, and Faroe has three major dialects. And it's tiny. Huh. Um, and, it, and it must be because of the separation, because Iceland is a one big volcanic island, whereas the, the Faroes are 18. Yeah, yeah, and there was a lot of um, kind of centralized, all the important people would come to the the thing in, in, in Iceland. Is, the thing is the, the, the assembly. The right? assembly in Iceland, and so there was a lot of contact. Okay. But in Faroe, people were a little more isolated. Mm. And th there were shockingly few people, I think, um, in 1700, there were something like uh, 3,500 Faroese people. Okay, wow. Um, so the, f the fact that they even maintained their language, uh, we can talk more about how they did that, but it's through, it was through singing poetry to each other in the, the face of Danish pressure okay. to speak Danish. Huh. Um, I mean, you, you'd go on Sunday, you'd hear a Danish sermon. Okay. But then your cultural... The isolation of the islands and the kind of independence of these sheep farmers and fishermen and then uh, getting together and singing ballads. Um, they held tightly to their language, uh, even though there were so few of them. It's interesting that 
I, when I was researching Faroese literature uh, before I came here, I found all of these old ballads that, 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 that it's such a part of the history here. Of course, yesterday I went to this record store that was all records by Faroese musicians, so obviously national identity has music as a connector. The quote from William Heineson I shared was from a book called The Lost Musicians, um, which obviously also touches on music. Uh, and so... Yeah, let's talk about those ballads a little bit. So how you would do a ballad is you would all get together in um, the town hall mm -hmm. and you would hold hands and you would take two steps to the left and one step to the right. So it was sort of a dance. It's a dance mm -hmm. um, and with the rhythm of your feet, there are, with no trees and very few resources, there are no music, native musical instruments here. Mm -hmm. And um, so you would hold hands, you step left twice, right once and you slowly move in a ring and this ring wouldn't always be a circle it could wind through the room depending on the size of the ring mm -hmm. um, to kind of snake your way through the room to make more size uh, and you would sing these ballads to each other and there'd be a caller um, somebody who would have these the whole thing memorized okay but so it would be a couple lines and then a chorus everybody would sing a couple lines chorus and so everybody's participating, everybody's dancing, they're listening to these stories, but then it was an, you were together in this uh, cold, dark, isolating winter. You it's might be holding the hand language. of the cute girl from the mm. village next door. Mm. You have some uh, aquavit in you. Mm -hmm. uh, moving around at that pace with two steps to the left and one to the right is just enough time for somebody to knock a shot of aquavit down your throat and pour one in time for the next person. Uh -huh. uh, I've. In the summer course, we've brought in some professional dancers to dance with us. It's wonderful. So they sung these ballads, and in the 1700s, as the Romantic movement was sweeping Europe, there was a big interest in, um, instead of, you know, like looking to Latin, there was this, uh, let's look at our own histories and languages and uh, folk, folk traditions. and people started looking at the Pharaoh ballads and they realized that they had orally maintained material from um, the, the mainland. From the, the Norwegian mainland? From uh, the, the sort of pan-Germanic okay. mm -hmm. uh, materials. Cause, um, from the European? From the Europeans. Northern European. Because uh, we tend to think of these countries as settled, but there were a lot of movement right. um, of tribes and peoples in the, uh, you know, just before the year 1000. Right. They'd held on to this material, some of which has made its way into like uh, the ring cycles in Germany and things mm. like that, mm. very faithfully for 700 years. And this is still a really vital part of culture. Um, is Lord of the Rings part of this too? Like, isn't there a <coughs> saga Nordic element to that, or is this uh, not necessarily? J.R.R. Tolkien was one of the greatest Scandinavian scholars okay. of his time and he just wrote fiction on the side okay interesting <laughs> yeah. interesting so he he knew all about these uh, kind of pandromanic myths and hmm. stuff um, so you have these fantastic stories of uh, you know people slaying dragons and uh, having conflicts with evil blacksmiths and uh, one of the most popular ballads is this uh, the hero Sigurd uh, he needs a sword so he goes to the blacksmith black as everyone knows, blacksmiths are evil. Okay. Um, he makes him a sword that's guaranteed to break against the dragon. He goes up, breaks the sword on the dragon, 
breaks his sword on the dragon a second time and he he's like okay i realize you're trying to kill me you're trying to get me killed you better make me a good sword if I, if i come back here again and with a broken sword i'm going to kill you Smith says okay you just have to give me the dragon heart and payment so Sigurd goes with a good sword this time kills the dragon gets the heart brings it back to the smith and as he's walking away he realizes that the smith is cooking this heart and if he eats the heart he's going to get the power of the dragon and mm. be unstoppable mm. um, and so he runs and he grabs the heart and he tosses it into the sea but he's burned his fingers on the pan in the hot dragon grease and he sucks on his fingers and uh, gets just enough of the dragon in him to understand the language of birds wow <laughs> this this is an hour long dance and it's, it's specific to the Faroe Islands. This story comes from the Faroe Islands. Well, that story is one of these pan-Germanic myths okay. that's been man maintained. Okay. But the fact, you know, that this oral tradition stuff is just amazing. These, um, you know, largely uneducated people maintaining this folk memory and stories simply by oral tradition for uh, 700 years at least. I actually found some translations. I think they go back to the 30s or maybe before that. Sort of out of this interest in Northern European folk traditions. And there was one, there, there are a couple, one, I forget the name of it, but it basically, it's a, it's a pretty standard trope about how the people of previous generations were mightier and more honorable than the current generation was. But that was interesting. There's also one called the Ballad of Hjalmar, which is where Hjalmar and his brother are both trying to court the love of the Franklin's daughter. Oh no. And, um, and so the Franklin says, well, she can just choose. And she chooses Hjalmar because he's more handsome than his brother. But then <laughs> for some reason they fight to the death anyway and yeah. they both die. Yeah, okay. And, and so it's this almost comically and absurd but tragic um, ballad about maybe about male pettiness or something but it's it's weirdly sunny they right now this is this is an aside about the weather matthew but uh they say that the weather changes like 20 times a day in the, in the pharaohs the british would call this the island of maybe okay and that's because they would ask a pharaohese person hey we need to do this today and the pharaohese person would say maybe and they thought the pharaohese were being recalcitrant or difficult but really what they were saying is we might be able to do that depending on the weather who knows we'll see as someone who's going to be hiking in the next few days i guess that's what i'm up against um, my wife and i are going to have to bring enough clothes and and pay enough attention and just sort of see if our hike is five hours of fog yeah. or the most beautiful sight we've seen this year. There are, uh, you know, you hear about so many words for snow and native cultures in Canada. Right. There are actually over 20 words for fog in Faroe Islands. Oh, there's, kidding. there's mountaintop fog, fog at sea, fog on the land, fog in the valley, but not in the mountain. It's snow fog, thunder fog, you know, all sorts of things. Huh. And it, you have to have this specialized vocabulary because it's honestly a matter of life and death here. I was just thinking then that reading the fog must be part of how you stay alive around here, or at least you did. <clears throat> Absolutely, and that, that both moving through the um, land is somewhat dangerous, even today. A couple tourists uh, die every year. No kidding. I mean, um, this is, this is such a- Is or post Instagram? Uh, post Instagram a lot of it, uh -huh. but part of the problem is um, the first thing they told us at the summer course, don't go into the outfield. That's their English, what they in English call the uncultivated land. Mm -hmm. 
Don't go into the outfield alone. Don't stray from the path. Don't stray from the path, but don't even go alone because it, hmm. it's such uneven, rocky terrain that you could easily catch your ankle in a hole and break your leg and nobody would find you. And uh, the system here is very different. Uh, they don't have sheep in pens. They have sheep. You wouldn't own property. You would own the right to so many sheep on the island. Okay. I mean, it is owning property in its own way, but... Um, so it's, you earn a percentage of whatever sheep are on the island. And then you would get together and take the sheep down and, you know, cull the old ones and shave them and right. send them back up the mountain for the next year. Huh. And the sheep are in, have the best life here. They're just roaming, beautiful views. Uh-huh. Um, it's good to be a sheep here. And so I, I would imagine as, as you hike through these very rugged and beautiful islands, you see a lot of sheep because yeah, we li I literally saw them when we got Scattering out away from you. Yeah. They're part of the traffic system here too. When you rent a car, they're gonna tell you, make sure you break for sheep. Okay. Wow. There's some weird travel advice in that regard. You know, there's probably, I've been to the Falkland Islands, and so sheep is very much a part of that very isolated part of the world as well. Sorry, that's the Malvinas for any Argentine listeners. But um, that seems very specific to this landscape, which is not dissimilar in some ways from my experience in the Falklands. But also I read that you should be careful about too much rain gear when you're hiking, because if you fall and start sliding on the vegetation, the rain gear doesn't have much friction and you might slide all the way down. Yeah, I remember a terrible story about some fairways farmers just since I've come here, maybe six years ago. They were wearing the full body kind of uh, Gore-Tex okay. bodysuit. Mm -hmm. And they're, the Faroe Islands are just steep hills okay. um, everywhere. There's really no flat land. Uh -huh. And uh, one of them started sliding, and the other tried to grab them, and they both just slid off a cliff into the sea and wow. died. Wow. Um, and that was Faroese people. And that was so. Faroese people. So people are pretty careful now about not wearing Gore-Tex bodysuits or something with no friction. Huh. And I've been in some hiking situations myself where I... It was uh, a little, little hairy, because all of a sudden the um, the slope changes underneath you as you're walking, and you realize that if you slip on this wet grass, you could be in some big trouble really fast. Um, it wasn't probably death and falling off a cliff for me, but it would have been some broken limbs and some uh, a bad time, bad tumble. We've just been joined by my wife, who's been walking the city. We are going to go hiking today and tomorrow and the day after. So on that more practical note, we've been talking about Faroese literature and ballads and myth and culture and history. As a traveler, uh, who's, who's also feels somewhat at home here, uh, what are your favorite things to do here? Where do you go? What can one do here? Uh, the capital, as we mentioned, really cosmopolitan for such a small place. Uh, Faroe Islands is kind of like this in a lot of ways. You have sort of one of everything, where in hmm. a big city there'd be lots of everything. Um, so there are those offerings. Um, you want to go see the movies? There's a movie theater. You know. Is it in the mall? Uh, I'm not, no, I don't think so. Th there is a mall. We went there yesterday. There is a mall. There is a, th a, a national um, acting theater. There's an art museum. There's just not really multiples in Toshan. Um, right. Hang on a second. Uh, so you're just, you're just saying hello? I just came to see if you were actually here. Okay, we're actually here. We're, 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 we're winding down. Amidst the wind and the birds and the... The dogs. The dogs and the, the children. Dudes, the children. The, the dog was actually chasing ducks in the water, oh. so... 
Can't get more bucolic than this. Sort of, sort of naughty. All right, well, have fun. All right, see you soon. Um, yeah, so being in being in Toshan is great. Uh, and then you're just a quick walk away from some beautiful hikes up to Chichibur. Which is where we're going today. Great hike. Um, I've often done this with the, uh, the summer course, and so we've taken trips out to, uh, to Vavar for, um, to go to the waterfall in Glossadollar. Um, I've been up hiking near Travelinus. Is, is that the one that's on all the postcards? Yeah, like that's the, on all the postcards. It's, it really is incredible. Waterfall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, just hiking around. A lot of times when I'm here now, it's just for 10 days. So I'll do a couple of couple hikes, and then I'm mostly spending time with my friends. There's a lot of different ways to approach the pharaohs. Faroese food is mm. uh, famous. Um, In what sense? Uh, very native cuisine. Um, Working without refrigeration and in a very uh, climate averse to supporting human population. Oh, it's the wind dried. The wind dried fermented sheep. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not a fan. A lot. Of- I had a taste the other night on my on our first night here. What's the word for the homestay meal? The, the meals that are served in homes. Oh, I'm not sure, but you're eating sheshbikyat. That's the wind dried sheep. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's, it tastes weird. It's very yeah. strong. Yeah, I'll just have a little bit, and I've gotten more used to it, but I yeah. um, haven't developed a liking yet. The first time somebody served it to me, they have a drying shack behind their house, mm-hmm. and they brought it out to me on a silver platter, and they pointed at it, and they said, this green color on it means it's very good. <laughs> and, uh, Not usually a color associated with meat. No, uh, but you know this place has expanded my palate a lot. I've come to like pickled and fermented things a lot more. Uh-huh. Uh, more fish, pickled fish, huh. pickled herring, stuff uh, that might be familiar to you, Norwegian descendant people in Kansas eating lutefisk, but right, yeah, uh, not so common to most people in America, I think. Yeah, there's grocery stores in, in Linsborg near where we live that you can get Nordic foods. If you were to if you were to give advice to a visitor, what would your urban rural split here be? Can can you sort of base yourself in Torshan and You you really can because uh, you can see you can do day trips to all the islands except the South Island. Um, you can take or, or maybe Michinus, you have to take a ferry and you should probably you can do a day trip there. But if you're going to Suroy in the south, you should definitely take a couple days. So if you were having 10 days here, you should get into Tereshon, um, get yourself acclimated. I think the Trichibor hike is the perfect way to start off your pharaohs. It's Which very, is basically over the mountain behind Torshan and to It's the next. up and around the corner of the mountain, and um, you, you see two beautiful islands, Hester and Coulter, the, the horse and the colt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you come to this medieval cathedral. Uh, never finished cathedral. Okay. Huh. Um, they 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 were they built it. It was way too ambitious. They were taxing the Faroese. There was a war about it. Wow. Um, and eventually, uh, it ended up with the cathedral not being built. Hmm. And you, you'll see this uh, farmhouse. That's a great example of what a very rich Faroese family would have, um, how they would have lived. Mm-hmm. Um, again, very different than the mainland. Right. A different life. Huh. Well, one thing, there's no wood here, so this house has this big table built out of driftwood, and, and driftwood, these huge Russian pines would come down. There's sort of an old man in the sea novel by William Heinison about um, 
this guy trying to wrestle a log out of the sea and huh. he, he fails. Huh. The man versus nature. Yeah. But it was such a lucrative thing if you could find one of those. There was a special tax on it. Huh. Um, the driftwood economy. The, the driftwood fair. economy. Uh, now, Faroes is probably the safest place in the world. It has uh, the lowest unemployment in Europe. Huh. Um, you know, wonderful healthcare education. They're able to uh, go all the way through PhD studies in a lot of subjects here at the wonderful University of Froschkapasad Feria. Um, do they import labor? Because in Norway, some of the field workers were f uh, from Poland, for example. Not that I've seen. Okay, um, interesting. But shipping can uh, and fishing can be somewhat multinational, I think. Um, mm -hmm. A quick aside, you were talking about how it's a very safe place, but I think yesterday you were telling me a story about how a very famous poet stabbed a person in this, par in this park. In this park, yeah. I don't, don't want to get into it too much because uh, people, you know, know him. Okay, but right. This is, this is the problem in Faroese. If you tell your stories and interesting stories, you're exposing people, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, it's, it's the dirty laundry. It's the dirty laundry, but yeah. the incident you're referring to um, happened my second time here, and it was the first violent crime in something like five or eight years. Huh. And so that gives you a good sense of like, you can't imagine that for most places in the U.S. Uh, it's very safe, and, and people act differently. You know, it, it's the old you can leave your doors unlocked and. Hmm, yeah. um, a van got stolen a, a few years back in the Faroes, and the owner put on Facebook, hey, give me my van back. <laughs> Please share this in the driveway by tomorrow, no questions asked, uh, t top off the gas. And um, everybody shared it, and it was in his driveway the next day. Where are you going to go with a stolen vehicle? Well, I was thinking about that when I was picking up the rental car. It's yeah. just like, this has got to be a pretty safe place because there's a limited number of places you can take a stolen vehicle, and how many chop shops are there in Torshavn, yeah, right? right? Um, yeah, you're not getting very far. What makes the Faroe Islands special, and how will it stay the same or change, do you think? It's definitely going to change. It's changed a lot. They've gone from fishing in the sea to mainly fishing in salmon rings in the fjords. Um, I think the landscape is something that is timeless and uh, eternal here, you know, it's a hundred million years old, these mountains. Uh, it's looked the way it has with the, it, it, it looks like somebody took a lawn mower to a lawn across the entire islands because of the sheep. Uh, but you know, it's changing as cities grow and tunnels go in and uh, small villages die out uh, and tourism comes in. Um, but I guess the, the Faroe Islands are just a beautiful place. Uh, the landscape is, is very special and, and the, the culture is very rich. And um, it's my hope that they can continue navigating these outside forces. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned, including information about the Faroe Islands and the poetry of Matthew Landrum, can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Cedar Van Tassel, who also does the theme music. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts.